friends, and welcome back to Pitching About the Mabinogion. Last time we began the story of Awine, a knight of King Arthur's court. And the story began with Awine hearing a tale from a friend about a knight in some faraway place that was incredibly difficult to defeat, and that his friend Canon indeed could not defeat. So Awine, of course, went and tried to beat the guy, and he succeeded, and gave the man a killing blow, and chased him all the way to his home, where he was almost trapped by the guards, and then helped out by a maiden called Luned, for no particular reason except she liked the look of him. And after the knight died, Awine was looking down at the funeral procession and fell in love with the guy's widow. Luned promised to assist him and, through various efforts, managed to get the lady of the castle to agree to marry Awine. And for the past three years, Awine has been in these far distant lands, defending the mysterious magical well that always summoned that previous knight to a duel and making himself popular by sharing the ransom when he won his fights with all of his underlings. Thus the story continues. One day, as Gwalchmai was out walking with the Emperor Arthur, he looked at Arthur and saw that he was sad and distressed, and Gwalchmai was extremely grieved to see Arthur in this state, and asked him, Lord, he said, what is wrong with you? Between me and God, Gwalchmai, said Arthur, I miss Owain, who has been gone for three years, and if I go a fourth year without seeing him, I will die. And I know for certain that it's because of the tale of Canon, son of Clidno, that we have lost Owain. There is no need for you to summon your kingdom on account of that, said Gwalchmai. You and the men of your household can avenge Owain if he has been killed, or free him if he is in prison, and if he is alive, bring him back with you and they agreed on what Gwachmai had said. Arthur got ready to go and look for Owain, together with the men of his household. There were three thousand of them, not counting retainers, and Canon son of Clidno, their guide. Three thousand? This is the usual hyperbole around the Emperor Arthur. Three hundred would be extraordinary. And Arthur came to the castle where Canon had been. There was this whole story we heard last episode about all these mysterious weird places and mysterious weird people that Canon encountered on his way, and that Awine later encountered on his way to the mysterious place where he met and defeated the mysterious knight. When they arrived, the lads were shooting at their knives in the same place, and the yellow-haired man was standing beside them. And when the yellow-haired man saw Arthur, he greeted him and invited him to stay. And Arthur accepted the invitation, and they went into the castle. And although they were a huge crowd, all three thousand of them and their retainers, their presence was scarcely noticed in the castle. And the maidens got up to wait on them, and they found fault with every service they had ever been given except the service from these ladies. There are only twenty-four ladies. Twenty-four ladies to serve more than three thousand people is a hell of a lot of work. And the service provided by the grooms that night was as good as that which Arthur would receive in his own court. 
The next morning Arthur set out from there with Canon as his guide, and they came to where the black-haired man was. And Arthur thought the black-haired man was far bigger than he had been told. They came to the top of the hill, and to the plain, as far as the green tree, and until they saw the well and the bowl and the slab. And we heard last time that the way to summon the mysterious knight is to use a, the silver bowl to gather water from the well and toss it on the slab, and then there would be a terrible hailstorm, and then there would be a wonderful bird song, and then the knight would show up, and there would be a terrible fight. And then Kai came to Arthur and said, My lord, he said, I know the reason for this journey, and I beg you to let me throw the water on the slab and face the first ordeal that comes along. And Arthur gave him permission. And Kai threw a bowlful of water on the slab, and straight after that came the terrible noise, and after the noise the shower of hail, and they had never heard a noise and a shower like that, and the shower killed many of the men who were with Arthur. And when the shower stopped, the sky grew brighter, and when they looked at the tree there was not a single leaf on it. And the birds alighted on the tree, and they were certain that they had never heard a song as delightful as the one the birds sang. And with that they could see a knight on a pure black horse, dressed in brocaded silk of pure black, and travelling at a brisk pace. And Kai took him on and fought with him. And the fighting did not last long. Kai was overthrown. And then the knight set up camp, and Arthur and his host set up camp for the night. When I got up the next day, there was the signal for battle on the black knight's spear. And Kai came to Arthur and said to him, Lord, he said, I was unfairly thrown yesterday. Will you let me go and fight the knight today? I will, said Arthur. And Kai made for the knight, but at once he overthrew Kai and looked at him, and stabbed him in the forehead with the butt of his spear, so that Kai's helmet and mail cap and skin and flesh were split to the bone, as wide as the head of the shaft. And Kai returned to his companions. And from there on Arthur's retinue went in turn to fight the knight, until each one had been overthrown by him except Arthur and Gwalchmai. And Arthur put on armour to go and fight the knight. My lord, said Gwalchmai, let me go and fight the knight first. Arthur gave his consent and Gwalchmai went to fight the knight, with a cloak of brocaded silk covering him and his horse, sent to him by the daughter of the Earl of Anjou. Because of that, no one from the crowd recognised him. And they attacked each other, and fought that day until nightfall, but neither of them came close to overthrowing the other. And the next day they went to fight with sharp spears, but neither of them overcame the other. And the third day they went to fight, each with strong, stout, sharp spears, and they were fired with rage, and on the stroke of noon they charged, and each one thrust at the other so that the saddle girths of both horses broke, and each one of them was thrown over his horse's crupper to the ground. And they got up quickly, and drew their swords and pounded each other, and those who saw them like this were certain that they had never seen two men as strong as those, or as splendid. Had it been a dark night, it would have been bright with the sparks from their weapons. And with that the knight dealt Gwalchmai such a blow that the visor lifted from his face, and the knight realised he was Gwalchmai. Then Owain said, Lord Gwalchmai, I did not recognise you because of your cloak. You are my first cousin. Take my sword and my weapons. You, Owain, are superior, said Gwalchmai, and victory is yours. So take my sword. And with that Arthur saw them and came up to them. Lord, said Gwalchmai, here is Owain who has defeated me, but he will not take my weapons from me. 
Lord, said Owain, it is Gwalchmai who has defeated me, and he will not take my sword. Give your swords to me, said Arthur, and then neither will have defeated the other. My god! It's like they're four! Except they're being extra chivalrous. No, 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 I lost! No, I lost! Fine, you both lost. Is that better? And Awain threw his arms around the Emperor Arthur, and they embraced each other. And then the host came, pressing and rushing towards them to try and see Awain and embrace him, so that men almost died in that crush. That night they all went to their pavilions. The next day the Emperor Arthur asked if he could leave. Lord, said Awain, that would not be right. Three years ago I left you, Lord, and this place is mine. And from that day to this I have been preparing a feast for you, because I knew you would come to look for me. Come with me to recover from your weariness, you and your men, and bathe yourselves. And they all went together to the castle of the Lady of the Well, and the feast that had taken three years to prepare was consumed within just three months, and they never had a more pleasant or better feast than that. And then Arthur asked if he could leave, and he sent messengers to the Countess, asking her to allow a wine to accompany him, so that the noblemen of the island of Britain and their ladies could see him for just three months. And the Countess gave her consent, but she did not find it easy. And Owain accompanied Arthur to the island of Britain. Once he had arrived among his people and drinking companions, he stayed for three years instead of the three months. Uh-oh. That's how fairy tales go wrong. One day, as Owain was eating at table in the Emperor Arthur's court in Caerlionarwisk, Behold, a lady approaching on a bay horse with a curly mane that reached the ground. She was dressed in yellow brocaded silk, and the bridle and what could be seen of the saddle were all of gold, and she rode up to Owain and grabbed the ring that was on his finger. This, she said, is what we do to a deceitful cheat and a traitor. Shame on your beard! And she turned her horse's head and away she went. And then Owain remembered his journey and he grew sad. When he had finished eating, he went to his lodging, and he was very uneasy that night. The next morning he got up, and he did not make for Arthur's court, but for the remote regions of the world and desolate mountains. And he wandered about like this until all his clothes disintegrated, and his body all but gave out, and long hair grew all over him, and he would keep company with the wild animals and feed with them until they were used to him. And with that he grew so weak that he could not keep up with them. And he went down from the mountains into the valley, and made for a park, the finest in the world, and a widowed countess owned the park. The descent of a man into wildness and his later emergence from it is like a a trope kind of madness or despair that and particularly despair and mourning that happens in Celtic stories. It's a thing. One day, the Countess and her handmaidens were walking beside a lake that was in the park, until they were halfway round, and they could see in the park something in the shape and form of a man, and they were frightened. Even so, they approached him, and touched him, and looked at him carefully. They could see his veins throbbing, and he was tossing and turning because of the sun. What a weird description. And the Countess returned to the castle, and took a jar of precious ointment and gave it to one of her handmaidens. Go, she said, and take this with you, and take that horse and the clothes, and place them beside the man we saw earlier, 
and rub him with this ointment over his heart, and if there is life in him, he will get up as a result of this ointment, and watch what he does. And the maiden set off, and applied all the ointment to him, and left the horse and clothes nearby, and withdrew, and retreated some distance from him, and hid and watched him. And before long she could see him scratching his arms, and getting up, and examining his flesh, and he was ashamed to see how hideous his appearance was. And he saw the horse and clothes nearby, and dragged himself until he reached the clothes, and pulled them to him from the saddle, and he put them on, and with difficulty he got on to the horse. And then the maiden made herself known to him, and greeted him, and he was glad to see the maiden, and he asked her what land that was, and what place. God knows, said the maiden, a widowed countess owns the castle over there, and when her lord and husband died he left her two earldoms, but tonight all she has left is just that one house over there which has not been taken by the young earl, her neighbour, because she would not marry him. That is a sad story, said Owain. And Owain and the maiden went to the castle, and Owain dismounted at the castle, and the maiden took him to a comfortable chamber, and lit a fire for him, and left him there. And the maiden went to the countess and placed the jar in her hand. Girl, said the countess, where is all the ointment? It is gone, lady, she said. Girl, said the countess, it is not easy for me to scold you, but it was unfortunate that I spent one hundred and forty pounds worth of precious ointment on a man without knowing who he is. Nevertheless, girl, wait on him so that he has enough of everything. And the maiden did that. She served him with food and drink and fire and bed and bath until he was well, and the hair dropped off a wine in scaly tufts. That took three months, and his flesh was then whiter than before. And then one day a wine heard a commotion in the castle, and great preparations, and armour being brought inside. And a wine asked the maiden, What is this commotion? he said. The earl I mentioned to you, she said, is approaching the castle to try and destroy this lady, and a large host with him. And then Owain asked the maiden, Does the countess have a horse and armour? Yes, said the maiden, the best in the world. Will you go to the countess and ask if I may borrow the horse and weapons, said Owain, so that I may go and look at the host? I will, gladly, said the maiden. And the maiden went to the countess and told her everything he had said. Then the countess laughed. Between me and God, she said, I shall give him a horse and weapons to keep, and he has never owned a better horse nor better armour, and I am glad that he is going to take them, for fear that my enemies will seize them tomorrow against my will, but I don't know what he wants them for. And a fine black Gascon horse was brought, with a saddle of beech wood on him, and enough armour for a man and a horse. And a wine armed himself, and mounted the horse, and set off, and two squires with him, complete with horses and armour. And when they came to the earl's host they could see neither border nor boundary to it, and Owain asked the squires which troop the earl was in. In the troop with the four yellow standards over there, they said, there are two in front of him and two behind. Good, said Owain, go back and wait for me at the castle gate. And they returned. And Owain rode on between the first two troops until he met the earl, and Owain pulled him from his saddle and placed him between himself and his saddle-bow, and he turned his horse's head towards the castle. And whatever trouble he had, he carried the earl along with him, until he reached the castle gate where the squires were waiting for him. And in they came, and Owain gave the earl as a gift to the countess, and spoke to her like this. Here is your payment for the healing ointment I received from you. 
and the host pitched their tents around the castle, and in return for his life the earl gave back to the countess the two earldoms, and in return for his freedom he gave up half his own domain, and all her gold and silver and jewels and pledges to meet that. And a wine set off, and the countess invited him to stay and all to be his domain, but a wine wanted nothing except to travel the remote and uninhabited regions of the world. And as he was travelling thus, he heard a loud shriek in a forest, and a second, and a third. And he approached, and when he got there he could see a huge cliff in the middle of the forest, and a grey rock in the side of the cliff. And there was a cleft in the rock, and a snake in the cleft, and a pure white lion near the snake. And whenever the lion tried to get away, the snake would dart towards him, and then the lion would shriek. A lion drew his sword and approached the rock. And as the snake was coming out of the rock, Owine struck it with his sword so that it lay in two halves on the ground, and he wiped his sword and continued on his way as before. But he could see the lion following him, playing around him like a greyhound he had reared himself. And they travelled throughout the day until the evening. When it was time for Owine to rest, he dismounted and let his horse graze in a level wooded meadow. And Owine lit a fire and by the time he had the fire ready, the lion had enough firewood for three nights. And the lion disappeared, but then at once returned with a large fine roebuck, and he dropped it in front of Owine and went to lie on the other side of the fire from him. Owine took the roebuck and skinned it, and put the chops on spits around the fire, and gave the whole buck apart from that to the lion to feed upon. And as Owine was doing this, he heard a loud groaning, and a second, and a third, not far from him, and Owine asked whether it was a human being who was groaning. "'Yes, indeed,' said the creature. "'Who are you?' said Owine. "'God knows,' said she. "'I am Luned, handmaiden to the Lady of the Well.' "'What are you doing there?' said Owine. "'I have been imprisoned,' she said, "'because of a young man who came from the Emperor's court "'to claim the Countess as his wife, "'and he was with her a short time.' and he went to visit Arthur's court, but he never returned. And he was the friend I think I loved best in the whole world. Two of the Countess's chamberlains made fun of him in front of me, and called him a cheat and traitor, and I said that the two of them together could not stand up to him alone, and because of that they imprisoned me in this stone vessel, and said that I would die unless he came to defend me by a certain day, and that day is no later than the day after tomorrow, and I have no one to look for him. He was a wine son of Urien. Are you sure, said Owine, that if that young man knew this, he would come to defend you? Really? Really? You don't recognize yourself in any of this story, Owine? You don't have any pangs of conscience or any temptation to let the damn woman know that it's you? I am certain between me and God, said Lunette. And when the chops were cooked through, Owine divided them in half between himself and the maiden, and they ate. And after that they conversed until it was light the next day. And the next day Owine asked the maiden if there was any way he could find food and hospitality that night. Yes, lord, she said. Go on over to the ford, she said, and take the road alongside the river, and before long you'll see a great castle with many towers. And the earl who owns that castle is the best man for providing food, and you can stay there tonight and no watchman ever guarded his lord as well as the lion guarded Owine the night before. And then Owine saddled his horse and travelled on through the ford until he saw the castle. And Owine entered the castle, and he was given an honourable welcome, 
and his horse was groomed to perfection and given plenty of food. And the lion went to lie down in the horse's manger, so that no one from the castle dared go near the horse because of the lion. And Owain was certain that he had never seen a place with such good service as that. Yet everyone there was as sad as if death were on each of them. And they went to eat, and the earl sat on one side of Owain, and his only daughter on Owain's other side. And Owain was certain that he had never seen such a beautiful girl. And the lion came to lie between Owain's feet, under the table, and he fed it with every dish that he was given. The greatest failing Owain saw there was the men's sadness. Halfway through the meal, the earl welcomed Owain. It's high time to be more cheerful, said Owain. Really, dude? You're always like this. You're always just so rude to people around you. You don't assume that they have a reasonable reason. You're just like, hey, everyone's pretty sad around here. You should cheer up. Like, could you ask? God knows it's not on your account that we're sad, but rather because a matter for sadness and grief has come upon us, said the Earl. What's that? said Owain. I had two sons, and yesterday they went to the mountain to hunt, and there is a monster there, and he kills men and devours them. And he has captured my sons, and tomorrow is the day set between us to hand over this maiden, or else he will kill my sons in front of me. And although he looks like a human, he is as big as a giant. God knows, said Owain, that is a tragedy. And which one of those things will you do? God knows, said the Earl. I find it more honourable for him to kill my sons, whom he got against my will, than to give him my daughter willingly to be assaulted and killed. And they talked of other matters. Owain stayed there that night. The next morning they heard an incredibly loud noise. It was the huge man coming with the two lads. And the Earl wanted to defend the castle from him and abandon his two sons. Owain put on his armour and went out to contend with the man, followed by the lion. And when the man saw Owain in armour, he made for him and fought against him. And the lion fought much better than Owain against the huge man. Between me and God, said the man to Owain, it would not be difficult for me to fight you if the animal were not with you. And then Owain threw the lion into the castle and closed the gate on him, and returned to fight as before with the huge man, because he's freaking driven by his freaking pride. Fuck's sake. But the lion howled upon hearing Owain's distress, and he climbed up on the earl's hall, and from the hall to the castle wall, and from there jumped until he was with Owain. And the lion struck a blow with its paw on the huge man's shoulder until the paw came out at the fork of his legs, so that all his entrails could be seen slithering out of him. And then the huge man fell down dead. Then Owain gave the earl his two sons, and the earl invited Owain to stay, and Owain did not want that, but returned to the meadow where Luned was. He could see there was a huge blazing fire, and two handsome lads with curly auburn hair taking the maiden to throw her into the fire, and Owain asked them what they wanted of the maiden, and they told him their story as the maiden had told it the night before. And Owain has failed her, and so we are going to burn her. God knows, said Owain, he was a good knight, and I would be surprised that he did not come to defend her if he knew the maiden needed him, and if you want me to take his place, then I will. We do, said the lads, by him who made us. And they went to fight Owain, and he came to grief at the hands of the two lads, and with that the lion came to Owain's assistance, and they overcame the lads. 
And then they said, Lord, we agreed to fight with you alone, and it is harder for us to fight with that animal than with you. And there Nawine placed the lion where the maiden had been imprisoned, and made a wall of stones at the entrance, and went to fight the men as before. But Nawine's strength had not fully recovered, and the two lads were getting the better of him. The lion was howling all the time because Nawine was in trouble, and the lion tore at the wall until he found a way out, and quickly he killed one of the lads, and straight away he killed the other, and so they saved Luned from being burned. And then Nawine, accompanied by Luned, went to the kingdom of the Lady of the Well, and when he left there he took the Countess with him to Arthur's court, and she was his wife as long as she lived. So Nawine's story has come full circle. First he left Arthur's court and ended up staying with the Lady of the Well for three years, which made Arthur sad. And then Arthur collected him and he went to Arthur's court and stayed there for three years, which made the Lady of the Well sad. And then in penance he went into the wilderness and then gradually reclaimed his personhood and his knighthood through a combination of the compassion of others and accomplishing various quests. And he is reunited with his wife, the Lady of the Well, and has brought her to Arthur's court so he can make her happy and make Arthur happy at the same time. No innuendo is intended. However, there is a brief additional bit before we conclude. After that, a wine came to the court of the Black Oppressor and fought against him, and the lion did not leave a wine until he had overcome the black oppressor. I want you to know here that black refers to the colour of his clothing and possibly his hair. It does not refer to the colour of his skin. Just to be completely clear. And when a wine came to the court of the black oppressor, he made for the hall, and there he saw twenty-four ladies, the most beautiful that anyone had ever seen. But the clothes they wore were not worth twenty-four pieces of silver and they were as sad as death itself. And Awine asked them why they were sad. They said that they were the daughters of earls, and that they had arrived there, each accompanied by the man she loved best. And when we came here we were made welcome, and were treated properly, and were made drunk. And when we were drunk the fiend who owns this court came and killed all our husbands, and stole our horses, and our clothes, and our gold, and our silver and the bodies of our husbands are in this very house, and many other bodies besides. And that, Lord, is why we are sad, and we are sorry, Lord, that you too have come here, for fear that you shall come to harm. And Awine was sad to hear that, and went out to walk. That's what you do, you know, when you hear a terrible tale. You go for a walk so you can have a think. And he saw a knight approaching him, greeting him with joy and love as if he were his brother. That was the Black Oppressor. It's spelt with a capital B and a capital O, by the way, which is just such a, like, fantastic style. Ah, yes, I am the Black Oppressor. If only the word weren't black, you know? I am the Red Oppressor. No, that sounds communist. I'm pretty sure the colour signification, the Green Oppressor, no, that sounds like I am an anti-environmentalist. Damn it, why are all the colour words stolen? Not stolen. Meaningful. 
God knows, said Owine, I have not come here to seek your welcome. God knows, he replied, then you will not get it. And at once they rushed at each other, and fought each other fiercely, and Owine got the better of him, and tied him up with his hands behind his back. And the black oppressor asked Owine for mercy, and said to him, Lord Owine, he said, it was prophecy that you would come here and overthrow me, and you have come and done that. And I lived here as a robber, and my house was a robber's den. But spare me my life, and I will become a hospitaler, and run this house as a hostel for the weak and the strong, as long as I live, for your soul's sake. And Awine accepted that, and spent that night there. And the next day he took the twenty-four ladies with their horses and clothes, and all the wealth and jewels they had brought with them, and he travelled together with the ladies to Arthur's court. And Arthur had been happy to see him before when he was lost, but he was even happier now and any of those women wishing to stay at Arthur's court were allowed to do so, and any wishing to leave were allowed to leave. And Owine remained at Arthur's court from then on as captain of the retinue, and was dear to Arthur until he went to his own people. They were the three hundred swords of Kenverchen and the flight of ravens. And wherever Owine went and they with him, he was victorious. And this tale is called The Lady of the Well. So there we are for today, friends, and for the first time in a while with the Mabinogi, we've actually had some bitching. I hope you had fun. Bitching about the Mabinogion is told by Gwenverch David and produced by Amanda Martell. Take care, and thanks for listening.